Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Risk Cheese Radio Podcast, your place for horological hot takes, taboo topics, and often unpopular watch opinions. My name is Schmidt, and as always, I'm joined by my good buddy. You guys know him. You'll love him. Mr. Bro Dinky. What's going on, bro? Not too much, bud. Just a good old-fashioned week of uh, just being dad and hanging out and assimilating back into normal people culture. You know, it's it's nice. I'm finally in the back in the flow of, of normal life. I'm, I'm, you know, not, I'm kind of in my off season. So yeah, really just kind of kicking back and enjoying things and getting stuff done. You know, things I've been ignoring doctor visits, dentist, uh, dry cleaning the house chores, whatever, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a peaceful existence. <laughs> it's oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. It's yeah. Nice. Believe me. It's nice. How, how are things by you? Good, man. Uh, just been busy doing some, some home reno projects, uh, Put a new fence in this week, so that was a a big bit of my watch budget unexpectedly gone, um, because you know HOAs are like, hey, you need to fix your fence, so you got to fix your fence, so things like that. But uh, it's been uh, it's been good. Family time has been good. Um, wife is now officially back to work, so things are a little bit more difficult recording episodes these days. But you know we'll make it we'll make it work as always. But uh, all in all, things have been really good. Very cool. Very cool. Before we hop into the newer stuff, just a quick shout out to the listeners. Thanks a lot for helping us break the 75,000 download plateau. Much appreciated. It's pretty cool. Logged in today and saw that. So that was neat. Just a shout out to the listeners. We always appreciate you. Thanks for coming back every week. Thanks for not getting tired of us. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. More so that. More so that. Yeah. Um, So we'll go into a Again, a pretty good amount of new stuff. I didn't. I tried to keep it a little slim here so we could work in some topic because it's been hot and heavy new releases, and I don't want to just yeah. make this the new release show every week. But it's been a crazy January so far. Uh, but a couple that we've been sort of expecting seeing coming down the pipeline. I know you and I were both very excited about the Volcane Nautique. Yes, and it's finally very here, hot. and it's it's in blue now as well. Yeah, it's it's very hot. I. I would really love to go hands on with it. It's it looks really beautiful. It it is, and it's a nice kind of vintage tribute from them. And it's funny they're kind of along the lines of what our episode is going to be about today, which is it's a combination of things. If you listen to the last two episodes, there were some things where you and I were just sort of like, we don't know anything about the background of this brand, but here it is. Yeah, or if it was a brand like a volcano that had a presence and kind of dipped for a little, and now they're back, sort of what happened, or it, you know, is it the same group or the same people, or has it been handed off multiple times? Maybe we don't really know. So you and I kind of came up with an idea for an episode where we we're going to take a couple brands each and do a little bit of digging and kind of suss it out for for the listener and for our own. <laughs> mental sanity you know as opposed to just sitting around and saying well you know I, I don't really know what goes on here but they have new stuff you know we'll at least be able to say oh well, we looked into this previously and here it is you know this brand does such and such so that's sort of the idea for the episode today we'll, we're going to get into a little more of that later but volcano reminds me of that because obviously they've they've been very big they were the president's watch for how long yeah with the cricket and now they've revived the cricket and now they're sort of mining the back catalog 
where they were quiet for for some time and now they're back with a presence years years and it, it, yeah but now they're bringing back stuff that was at least originally theirs yeah i mean it, it, it it's good man i mean i i think i've talked about this before on the show you know my first swiss watch ever was a volcano yeah. Now, like like I said, it wasn't a cricket. It wasn't anything fancy or anything like that. Just a simple 1960s gold manual wine dress watch. But it was a Volcane. And I loved it. You know, it was given to me by by a, a very dear friend. And uh, it was my first real exposure into something vintage and certainly something Swiss. Um, so I have a very soft spot in my heart for Volcane. I love the brand. You know, even though it's not something that I've, you know, really collected uh, I'm glad to see it back, and and I think you know for them to start back with the with the cricket was a logical step. Um, that makes sense. That's kind of their bread and butter. But I love, as you mentioned, that they're going into the back catalog. They're expanding and relaunching things that, you know, I wasn't even aware of. I had never seen this Nautique before, and you know, I'm glad that they decided to bring that out. I think a diver is a great choice for an everyday timepiece, and I'm happy that it's that it's here. And I think it's been pretty well received. Yeah, and I'm. I think you and I are both wondering. We've got the cricket. We've got the nautique. Now, are we going to get the nautical cricket? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I, I, I really, really wanted to come back out. I really want to come back out. I know we talked about this at the end of last year, at some point. Yeah, we did. That we that we wanted the 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 nautical cricket to come back. I think this would be the perfect launching point as well for that to for that to be the case. They also have another model on their website, which I didn't see before. Um, maybe it hasn't been officially launched yet, but it's the Chronograph Tradition. It's a 38 millimeter, what looks like a manual wind bicompax chrono. Wow. It's pretty slick. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. And one of them has a salmon dial, which I think looks really good. That's interesting. You think they would uh, have put that out there a little more now? I I mean, it says coming soon, so maybe uh, it just okay. hasn't been. Maybe it's a novelty for this year. It hasn't been officially communicated, but dang, bro, it looks, it looks really good. Yeah, interesting. It looks Something good. to keep an eye out for, certainly. Wow, look at that! You see it? Yeah. Yeah, we got a. Look, it's kind of like what uh, what we wish Hoyer would do. Yes, very much. So. <laughs> so, so black dial, sub dials, you know, silver dial, black subs. It's like, come on, come on, man. Yeah, I'm with it. I'm here for it. I mean, 38 millimeters manual wine. That is like your alley right there. That's money. No, that's very cool. Everything's going smaller again. Everything. <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm ready. I mean, 38 millimeter chronos, bro. Like, what year is this again? Yeah, I mean, you sent me a a fairer earlier that was thirty six millimeter. I mean, 36. it was a three hander, but it was thirty six millimeters. Yeah. So, I mean, speaking of that, you just want to go into that one too, since we're touching on it. I, I mean, there's, that's pretty much all there is to it. It's a three hander, and it looks a lot like the ones they've previously had, and only slightly bigger sizes, but they're just slimming it down, thirty six mils. I love it. I think the one and the you colors sent me was nice. red. Yeah, colors are nice. So there's a little there's a little collection, it's a 36 mil collection, but uh, if you if you love all things fair, um, check them out. And and rumor is, and I don't know if you caught this on social, I forget who posted about it, but somebody mentioned that there's going to be a Christopher Ward fairer collaboration. Interesting. 
which would be very cool because they're both, you know, British brands, British independent brands. And instead of trying to directly compete with one another in, in some form or fashion, because they're both similar price points, yeah. they're they're working on a special project together. Very interesting. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. Well, speaking of Chris Ward, while we're there, <laughs> we, we, we've known the Chime Watch is coming out, but they're now dropping it in four other colors. I think we've seen a blue. We're also getting sort of a copper. And ice, sort of a, I'm going to call it like a a dusk black. It's not quite all the way black. It's like a sort of a lightly tinted black. Yeah. Then, of course, the color of the year, baby. Yeah. Color of the year. People are giving love to purple. I've seen a couple places now. People are saying, is purple, is purple the thing? I said, yeah, yeah, it is actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, I mean, we called it at no, the we end were, of last year. Like We well sort of noticed that the... trend. I mean, when you got a purple yeah. Monaco, I think that was probably the kicker for me. And I was like, all right, <laughs> here we are. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah, C1 Belcantos. Um, yeah, like you said, it's kind of like a, like a grayish black almost. The purple is super saturated. Yes. In the best way. In the best way. <laughs> Uh, it is very like royal purple, purple. So very odd. It looks like it also has a sunray finish, so it looks like it might get you know kind of darker on the outskirts or whatever. That's kind of how I felt about it too. So I I'm excited to to see this. I'm glad that Christopher Ward is expanding their collection with this because I think I think all of the other original versions like sold out immediately. Yes. So maybe they're doing this as like small production runs of you know a capsule collection and then boom it's done you know that's maybe what i think that they're doing but we'll see um again price point you're looking what 30 just under four thousand us it looks like um the copper one's probably my favorite it's really nice it, 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 it looks of the yellowish aquaterra yeah the saffron that's right. It's pretty close to that color. Isn't yeah, it? I thought so too. Huh. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh that's a good way to describe it. But yeah, I mean very cool watch. Very, very, very cool watch. Very high urology from not a high urology house. And I love it. I think that's what makes it fun. Is it completely unexpected? Yeah. Go out there, spend your one thousand two hundred dollar deposit and get this watch. <laughs> and if anybody was so gracious enough to send it to us just to, to, to look at for a few days, I just want to send it, it back. Once. I'll send it back. Yeah, we will send it back. I, I promise. <laughs> but it'd be very cool just to, to kind of see this watch and, and, uh, and take a look at it for sure. Yes, sir. Uh, continuing with last week's big drop, Zenith put out a, another revival piece yeah. from the A3691 family they i think they already had one of these in sort of a minty green now they've yeah. got one in a ruby red and it's it's their old 37 millimeter <clears throat> tetra decagon <laughs> i don't know how many sides that means it has but it's a it's little 30, 37 millimeter case and it's uh it's a it's a it's a callback to the old defies yeah and i mean it's cool yeah, it comes on a ladder bracelet, very Zenith DNA. So that's that's neat. Yeah. This is this is a a very you watch. Yeah, it's I can I can really, mess with this. Not really a very me watch, but um, it's it's nice. And it's that's, funky. It's kind of all I'd say about it. <laughs> it's it's nice, <laughs> you know. Yep. 
but I'm not. I'm definitely not rushing out to get one. Somebody is though. Yeah. 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 All right. These last few are going to tie together eventually, so stay with me. Uh, I I don't know if you caught it today. I posted it. I got an emails from Nevada Grinchin saying that you can basically customize your own depth master now. And you know, I'm a big fan of the depth master. Yes. Pretty sir. sweet. If you're, if, if you're not into it, it's a, a 39 millimeter thousand meter diver. Yeah. For <laughs> around a thousand bucks. <laughs> Real serious here. Yeah. Real serious. It, it, you know, it's, it's kind of jokingly and adoringly called the baby Panerai because it has a similar case shape. But it's it's a it's a cool watch, and you can pick your dial configuration, you can pick your handset, you can pick your bezel, your strap. So if you like the overall look, or you were sort of tempted by the older Depth Masters as I was, this is your chance to build your own. So I mean, I, I guess more the merrier here. Pretty neat little offering from them. Yeah, no, it's cool. I mean, who doesn't love a choose your own adventure? I mean, yes. you and I certainly are. <laughs> you and I certainly grew up with that type of a. Uh, you know, reading book and, and movie kind of selection. It's, it's always fun. And it's nice to see that, that brands that are really popular with, with the community are doing something that gives us a little bit of customization and, and creativity. You know, I think that that's certainly something that has been missing for many, many years from the watch industry itself is just, you know, we've touched on this before, just not taking yourself so seriously. And I think giving your consumer base the ability to make, some changes to to create something that's unique and different um than the average thing i think is pretty cool yeah we've seen we've seen them doing a ton of collabs lately yeah so this is kind of getting back to their own stuff but maybe in a way that you can sort of configure it to your liking so that's neat yeah and even if it's just something like a dial change, you know, a, a different handset that didn't come with this particular colorway dial, and now you can get it, I think that's pretty cool. And it gives you your own kind of custom piece. And you know what? They're not really that much more expensive than what you would buy as a regular stocked inventory piece. So that's also nice. I think that's pretty cool. Moving on, I think everybody's probably seen this one by now. Rowing Blazers has another collab, this time not with Seiko, but with Zodiac. Yes. And also Harry's Bar, which I had to do a little research on this one myself because I I didn't really get the extra branding on it. But apparently Harry's Bar is called Harry's New York Bar, but it's not in New York. It's in Paris. What? So (laughs) I did a little digging on that and... The explanation that's a little awkward. <laughs> that's a little yes, awkward. Yes. So here's here's a quick little thing about it. Harry's New York Bar is a gathering place for intellectuals, celebrities, sportsmen, and rakes. Many have been inducted into Harry's very own secret society, the International Bar Flies, whose icon, the two cartoon flies, uh, adorn the mirror behind the bar. To this day, Harry's is known for its limited menu, a wide variety of the best cocktails in Paris, and to eat only hot dogs. So Wait, what? That, that that is apparently well all that's on the menu. It's hot dogs. You got me. New York bar, Paris. I don't get it, but this is apparently their their branding the two flies that are on there. Okay. And all I right, guess right. Rowing Blazers is sort of ushering the collaboration of all three. Okay. It goes back you. to something about the the dude from Rowing Blazers was was out there and he he asked them for merch, and this was what was on the sweater that they gave him, and this was the color 
And so he kind of ran with it. So that's where this sort of motif and the branding come from. Uh, we've seen this iteration kind of thrown around a lot lately, this Super Seawolf situation. Yeah. We've I mean, got a 12-hour bezel on it. It's, it's a cool looking watch. I mean, it's it's nice. A, it's a, yeah, it's like it's like if Brooks Brothers and Zodiac had a baby. It's kind I of the see way that. that yeah, you know, I can see that. Um, or old school like J Crew. It's just kind of like that that preppy, you know, kind of rebellious, intellectual, you know, kind of design. I think it's very cool, and you know, I I like the collaboration in terms of like what the final product was. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, esoteric collaboration or not, or not I think it's an attractive looking timepiece. You know, the colors are cool. Um, the black and green is very cool. I like the, you know, the the red kind of striped on the NATO. But I don't know about the Harry's logo, you know? It's a little off-putting, I guess. I, mean, I, I, I get it. I was kind of surprised, though, when I saw this teased. I, I, I will be honest with you. <laughs> I didn't really know what to think because I was like, well, we just had all the Rowing Blazer Seikos that came out. So now we got the Zodiac. So what's like the next tier for Rowing yeah, Blazer? If they're, if they're moving on up, I wonder what yeah. it would be. Are they going out the price segment now and collaborating with a lot of people? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's that or if it's just sort of who can get, who they can get their hands on. Maybe. But, but I mean, look. No, no, no shade uh, for for so for Zodiac or Rowing Blazers. I think the watch is very cool. It's obviously going to be very desirable. People like this type of streetwear. They like this type of uh, this fashion house. Um, so I think it's going to be cool. It's going to be it's going to be cool for for millennials and Gen Z guys and girls that that like this stuff. And uh, if you're into Rowing Blazers and you want a little bit nicer of a timepiece than a Seiko, then go for the Zodiac. Yeah, I think that's exactly who that's for because I could see the font nerd going bananas with the multitude of different fonts on the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely. But other than that, yeah, it's a good looking watch. I don't know. There's nothing really else to say about it. I mean, it's, it's the kind of classic, the newer classic Super Seawolf Jubilee yeah. bracelet. And lastly, uh, I think you and I are both kind of intrigued. We saw an ad for, I believe it's Sekhan Sekhan, <laughs> Volcane, and yep. I think Revolution. Yeah. And yeah. they've they've got some different color sweater-looking things on there that appear to be Star Trek. Yeah, it's it's got to be Star Trek, especially the cryptic. The cryptic post that they added. Space and uh, time, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, something collaboration through space and time or, or something like that. And, you know, it, it's, we've been following this for a while. Spock was a Vulcan. It's you Vulcan. Know, Spock was a Vulcan. So, this, you know, Vulcan. This is a Vulcan. It not sure sense. what it is, but, but it's got to be, it's got to be something that's going to be along those lines of those three brands. And and producing something that looks kind of Star Trek related or is a collaboration with Star Trek itself, uh, which would be different. I don't, you know, I don't really know if there has been really any Trekkie watches. I don't know, but you know, your boy Shatner's a watch guy. He is a watch guy, so yeah. that could get interesting. I mean, that would be kind of <laughs> be amazing. <dope. laughs> you know, well, that was my pick when when the kind of sort of tongue-in-cheek on the wind-up panel, they asked, 
who would you want to meet at a meetup like anybody and i was like well bill shatner i was like he's a watch guy he's been to space and he's he's got his own space flown stuff why not yeah exactly exactly you know but coincidentally i just realized this the launch date is january 26 that's gonna be a tough day to launch something on yeah i guess we're it's gonna gonna be it's gonna be a very very tough day to to launch something on because we're going to get the Omega drop, whatever that cryptic message is going to be. And we have no idea, right? What it, we, we kind of been kicking around I, possibly a high beat speedy. Yeah. You know, I, have we, have we actually discussed this? on the No, this has all yet? been private discussion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I want to put it out there. I mean, this is kind of what I think. Um, it could be a couple things. This year's 10 years anniversary for the Dark Side of the Moon collection. Okay. It launched in 2013. This is now 2023. Um, so it could be something like that. It could be you know, because they keep teasing the hairspring. Uh, and, and for those of you who don't know, because I've seen this in the comments and it's completely wrong, guys. You got to pay attention. You got to pay attention. Um, everyone's been like, oh, it's a silicon hairspring. I'm like, yeah, but it's not because Omega's current watches utilize silicon yeah, hairsprings. Yeah. I was like, guys, like Omega's been doing this for years. Omega's actually one of the first brands to really do a mass production silicon hairspring back in 2008. Uh, basically, all of their in-house movements have had it. And then the Speedy Pro got it uh, two years ago in 2021. So it's had it already. So that's not that. Um, could it be a change to coaxial escapement itself? Maybe. Um, the one thing that I thought was interesting, and I forget where I read this article, but essentially when Omega launched the Chrono Chime in November of last year, one of the most impressive things with that res about that respective movement, other than the complication itself, is that this was the first time that they were able to create a high beat 5 hertz movement with coaxial. Mm which had never been done before. And to my understanding, being an Omega guy, I think some of the biggest difficulties with coaxial is that the technology has always been designed to, to run at low frequencies. That's why you have an odd beat rate of, you know, 25,200 vibrations per hour versus the standard 28.8 or 36,000. Yeah. If it's a, if it's a high beat, something like that. Um, so they were able to create a, a five Hertz movement. So 36,000 beats per hour for the chrono chime. And it was the first time they were able to make it viable in a coaxial equipped movement. So I'm wondering if now, because they understand how that technology works, if we could get a high beat Speedmaster. I don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility. It's exciting. What do you think? I don't know what to think. Uh, you know who's throwing me off is all this stuff with Zenith and all their zany 110th, 100th, like... I don't know if there's just Omega's been putting out some some wild stuff lately. Imagine they just gave you some crackhead one hundredth of a second chrono or something. I mean, you know, at this point, anything is really possible. Yeah, I think so. I, I cannot. I it's at that point now where I literally cannot figure out what Omega's going to do next. Right, and with everybody, I, I, everybody sort of doing the like the spec flex lately. I don't think it's that crazy. I mean. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they broke the they broke the deepest diving record. Then Rolex had the to to you know, best them. You know, they came out with the commercial watch, and the Rolex came out with their version. So it's kind of like this 
thing you know they came out with a chrono chime you know the there's there's been amazing watches you know master chronometer tourbillons like they're doing some crazy things that a lot of people aren't recognizing or understanding and yet they're still doing it anyway which i think is very interesting so for me i'm really excited to see what the 26 is going to bring i don't know what it is um if you guys want to dm us on the on the page and kind of throw your ideas out there i'd love to hear them yeah and i think what cool. you're talking about is for a lot of people these technologies start in very expensive watches and so they don't really matter but eventually they make their way down and they become more accessible and that's when it gets absolutely. fun right absolutely absolutely you know when when coaxial first came out it was in one of the most expensive omegas ever made it was a deville hour vision wow. the entire are you familiar with this watch yeah we talked about this one we talked about this one I, just insane this because it was our I mean, vision yeah it was our yeah, vision it was, but it was, <laughs> it was a play on words it was, yeah yeah play on words h-o-u-r vision but what was so cool about it was the first relaunch of an in-house movement for omega back in 2007 but what made it unique is the entire case was made out of sapphire and then there was a steel jacket that basically sat over top the crystal the sapphire case body so you could literally see the movement from left inside of the case, front and back of the case, and then the exhibition case back. Or I'm sorry, front and back between the lugs and then the exhibition case back. So as you would wear, you could literally see the rotor swinging around in all directions. It was the most trippy watch I've ever seen. And at the time, it was like $7,000, you know, $7,300, something like that, which comparative to a you know diver 300 meter at $3,850, you know, was yeah, a, was a pretty staggering, you know, cost. Um, and a lot of people didn't understand why it was so cool, but uh, I, I guarantee that watch is going to have its day. I think it was a watch that was sold too soon, but we'll see. But everything is always expensive first, and then it kind of whittles its way down into the rest of the collection. But I won't, I won't keep beating this train anymore. We got, we got other things to talk about. Yeah, I just think it's important to to state the significance sometimes for people where they say, well, I don't care about that. It's unattainable or it's out of my price range or whatever. Don't be surprised if eventually it's not. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I am with you. I'm with you. All right. So now we'll get to, to business here. As I alluded to earlier. Oh, wait, hold on. Before I get there, I have to tie those last three together. I promised everybody I would tie them together. So if you were keeping score, that was Nevada, Rowing Blazers, Sakan Sakan. Somebody had jokingly DM'd me that Rowing Blazers was the Pete Davidson of the watch world. And if, for those who don't know, if you're not up in pop culture, Pete Davidson has kind of been making his way around, right? He was notably with Kim, and Kanye yes. was upset about it, and so-and-so, and he just he just keeps moving on, let's just say, right? And he, yeah, yeah. He's not, all right, here, we're going to just lay it out. You, you, you look at him, he's a pretty, pretty average-looking guy, right? And he's sort of like that, that guy in high school who who bags one hottie and kind of builds a career off that where yep he, he's got the rep now and that's all you need right after yeah, that you and, get and, like, and he makes people laugh right right so, so what, he's got what, the, he's what, got the free pass as, as he goes now anyway yeah. he's been making his way around and so my my joke back was sort of we've been talking about nevada kind of <laughs> getting around right yeah. lately with all their collabs half of them i feel like have been with sakon sakon and now they're <laughs> 
<laughs> off with Volcane and Revolution, and then you got Rowing Blazers doing stuff with Seikos and Zodiacs. So I don't know who I would award the Pete Davidson Award of Horology to, but I think that needs to be a category at the next yeah. GPHG. Uh, you know, I'm the with Pete you on Davidson that. Award. <laughs> I'm with you on that. To this day, one of my favorite memes is that that picture that somebody photoshopped, and it's like Marilyn Monroe sitting on a couch. Oh yeah, it's a good and one. It's like Pete Davidson five minutes after he gets to heaven. Yep, and he's sitting just like hanging without hanging with, with Marilyn Monroe. Monroe. And I'm like, you know Hilarious. what? That is a uh, that is peak 2022 2023 energy. So there you go. Yeah. So sorry for the delay there, but I had to just put a little bow on that one. You know, it's okay. We keep it light. We keep. Yes. It yes. Yes. All right. So on to brands that we we really are just curious about this is sort of when i was conceptualizing this we were talking about it i was kind of brought back a podcast that was very big for me when i started collecting it was two broke watch snobs and i i got to hop on with them for the 200 episode that was really cool yeah, um, yeah. they used to do a segment called watch brands that we know nothing about and they used to do like Rado, Mito. I think they did in yeah. one time, right? And it was all brands that we sort of knew about. But yeah, you know them by name, but yes, you don't really know exactly. like, what they do or what they're about. You know, like the their their ethos, if you will. Right, and they would do these hour hour and a half long episodes, just deep diving into these brands. And it, it was a neat segment, and it was, and that was sort of like a parallel idea to what I wanted to do. But in this case, not so not so deep. Just a lot of brands that we've been touching on, or that we've been sort of having curiosity about, and just sort of bring them into the present. Whether again, whether they are a revival brand, whether they've just been here all along and just been a little dormant, or whatever it might be. They're all putting out new stuff, or maybe they're a newer brand in some cases. Yeah. Because we're seeing a lot of those pop up and, and getting very hot very quick. So mm-hmm. you have a few. I have a few. We'll do the usual back and forth. I will start with a brand that we've talked about in the past couple episodes that has been particularly intriguing to me. They don't have a ton of stuff out because they're relatively new, but that is Serica. We, we talked about them last time. They had a GMT yeah. Destro looking watch. And all very their watches cool are, are very, very much their own aesthetic, which I like a lot. So before I get into all that, the name alone comes from history. It goes back to the days of Silk Road, somewhere in the 14th century. It was Serica was the name of a, a province that was sort of a trading hub in the days of Silk Road. And it was okay. believed to be settled by Roman legionnaires who made their way there and never left. And that's why it's got sort of a Italian sounding name of, of sorts, Serica, right? And <laughs> that was the name of the province. And sort of the idea behind the name is that the watches would be well-made enough to make the trip to the, at that point, it was called the end of the earth because for, for trading purposes, it was people made yeah, their way yeah. to the end of the earth to go to Silk Road and, you know, have all this prosperity. Um, but they would also be elegant enough to sort of have a place in such a historical and prosper, uh, prosperous locale is the idea behind the brand. Okay. Now, overall, the watches are very monochromatic, a lot of blacks, whites, sometimes a little little hint of red here and there, but very sterile for the most part, mm-hmm. color-wise. Uh, very clean, very strong, defined lines, a lot of beveling. They are a Swiss-made company. They're out of France, I believe, as far as the company goes. 
And they harness a lot of the newer Soprod movements, the ones that we're seeing in a lot of Fossil and Zodiac releases nowadays, which is, yeah, I think it's just one of the the newer Eta clone type deals, sort of along the same lines of as like a Salida <laughs> and things like that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's kind of the vibe I got from just looking up what what's good with the Soprod movements. But uh, they have a few models. We talked about the GMT last time. One that I particularly like is they have a field watch. I think it's the 4512. And it comes on sort of the OG clip bracelet, which is, yeah, is really, really cool. I love that thing. And it's just, it's very, like I said, it's very well-defined. It's very sterile. It's got sort of the regular old field watch motif with the 12-hour indices and the 24-hour inside of those. Broad arrow, which I like a lot. Broad arrow, hour hand. And just a very thick steel bezel that is heavily beveled around the outside, which it just looks very aggressive. I and mean, I don't know how great of a watch in the actual field this would be because it's going to be very shiny. I mean, it's got a lot of different finish on there, <laughs> but it's a yeah. very neat, very cool looking watch. And I've seen a couple different dial variants. I've seen sort of that traditional look versus a California dial I've seen sometimes. Oh, I you know, I, I've never owned a Cali dial. Me either. But Serica makes me want to own some Cali dials. Me either, but I did. I that the Nomos was a a Cali dial, the one that I had floating around for a little bit. So that was that was a fun thing to Mm. check out. Yeah, so nice. Yeah, but very cool. They like I said, uh, harnesses the Soprod P twenty four. These ones, but all all their watches have this similar sort of aggressive bezel, very high contrast look to them, and I really like them. They have a diver. They have a GMT. For me, just a, a very neat, very cool watch company. And they started, I, I think it was 2019, so they're pretty relatively new. Yeah, yeah. And I think their first model was actually the Field Watch. I think, that that I think was, so, it, too. If I remember correctly, it was the first model, and they had the two dial variations. One was the Cali, and then one was the the standard kind of, you know, Hamilton-esque, yes. you know, Arabics, and then the internal 24-hour scale. So very cool design, very cool watches. And, you know... Price points are not bad. Um, I think if I had all of my druthers and I was going to pick one of the, the 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 field watches, I would go for the Cali tuxedo dial. I did see there's a tuxedo. Oh, that That's one is neat. just so, it, it's just so different, so unbelievably different that I would totally go for that one. It's very like I don't know, very Art Deco to me. Yeah, super retro. Special in that Bond clip. Yeah, and I've I've seen a picture of it. Speaking of it, where it's like a, there's like a, a Monte Cristo cigar. There's a couple cards, I guess, sort of hinting at Texas Hold'em, and then that. So very much like that era, you know, high class. I, I like yeah. it a lot. It's so. it looks it looks good. But it yeah, that's good. a that's a brand again. There was one of those brands that I've just seen floating around, and I'm like, these are cool. I wonder if they're legit. I don't know. Like, are they? Again, was this a quartz crisis brand? Was it, is it new? Obviously, it is new. But yeah, there's yeah. a lot of times you don't know, and, and how, sometimes you, you and, can't. And, and you know, and then that to me, I think also speaks volumes for how well they look or they are designed, because you know I think the biggest challenge for for many new companies and, and new brands is to create something that's you know feels familiar in a way, but that it's still different and revolutionary you know 
and the way that I look at look at Serica, it, like so many great brands that, that do this in the micro space, is you know a lot of their designs are inspired by something. Right. But yet when you look at them and the sum of their parts, they truly do have their own design language. They have their own character. They have their own motif. And to me, that speaks volumes about the brand and the and the the designers and engineers behind the company because they're able to create something that is 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 able to stand on its own. And there's a lot of there's a lot, a lot to be said for that. You know, there's so many watch companies out there that just exist to just copy, you know, bygone designs that they know are good Tried looking. And true. They, yeah, exactly. You know, there's a lot of homage brands out there, and I'm not going to throw shade in at anyone specifically, but there's a lot of brands that do this very well because they know it's safe to do it. You know, they know that this is going to be a good-looking design. It's been a good-looking design for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Let's just keep doing it. But brands that are able to kind of take these design act, uh, attributes, mix them together in a refreshing way, and still create something new that feels like it was something before is is cool to me. It's And it's not an easy thing to do. No, I agree. It's definitely really impressive when a brand very much has its own DNA. And I do yeah. like that. I like that a lot about these watches. And I think I, I think that's why I understand why they've become somewhat popularized. Yeah. And you see you see their design carried through the entirety of their collection. Yes. You know, the dive watch looks like the, the field watch and some attributes in the field watch looks like the GMT. I mean, I still think that blue dive, that blue dial kind of ghosted bezel dive watches. Oh, it it does things to me. <laughs> I would love to get my hands on that one. Yeah. It's very, very good looking watch. All right. So that's my first. What do you got for me? So for me, my first one, um, I'm kind of going to dig into a, a brand that has a very historic history and past. But it's probably a brand that most people today in the watch community don't really talk about or know about, maybe. Uh, it's the brand Eterna. A lot of people maybe have heard this name before, um, but they don't really know kind of the context of the brand itself. Um, they basically started out in 1856. They were actually started by a, a gentleman uh, and a friend of his who basically were like educators or like school teachers. And they're like, you know what? We're going to make watches now. <laughs> so they started this like movement uh, what they called eBosch manufacturer, which is essentially like making uh, movement kits. You know, they were like unfinished movements. They were assembled kits, and then basically they would assemble them together and and sell them. Uh, this is what would be basically like a modern, you know, ETA or so prod or something like that, right? Like they're an eBosch. They make a movement, they sell it to a brand. That brand utilizes it for their for their watch. Yeah. So this has existed in history in Swiss watchmaking for, for forever and ever and ever. Now what's interesting about Eterna is at one point in time, Eterna itself was the brand, the company that was producing these movements. But what's interesting in kind of where the story goes awry for free Eterna is at one point in time, the movements that they were pre producing were sold under the label ETA or ETA. Oh, so what's if you ever look at the eternal logo, it says the word eterna in, in font. Above it, there's a little depiction of five little circles over the logo. Yeah, I've seen that. 
those circles represent the original frictionless ball bearings that Eterna created in its ETA movements to allow the rotor to free spin while significantly reducing the friction of the rotor spinning on the movement. Oh, so those were ball bearings, and that's what they created this patented design that's still utilized today by modern, you know, ETA movements. And I don't really know exactly what happened to the company and how they split, because ETA is now intellectual property of the Swatch Group, but Eterna right. itself as a company is not. So I don't know where that shift or schism happened in history, but it's kind of interesting that this brand that created one of the most widely recognizable movement manufacturing companies in the world for Swiss watchmaking as a company itself is no longer really known, you know? Uh, and, you know, they've created some cool watches over their years. They're probably their most famous uh, uh, timepiece is the Contiki. Yeah, I was going to say that had a, a movement not that long ago. Yeah, it was it was a pretty, pretty big deal. There was like a heritage reissue of it that was kind of, you know, maybe five to 10 years ago was kind of in vogue. And a lot of people were, were wearing it on social media and everything like that. But it was a big watch. I think the heritage revival was like 45 millimeters. So that kind of gives you a little bit more of that date range of when that was popular. Um, the original obviously was not a 45 millimeter timepiece, but a very, very historic brand that did a lot of cool things. Um, they were actually the first company in the world to patent a mechanical alarm complication okay. for a wristwatch. It was not Volcane. Wow. It was actually Eterna, um, which is interesting. But they did a lot of great things. It's just a company that, quite frankly, is it, it's sad to see where they are now because they I don't really know if they even truly exist anymore. If you go on their website, they have some collections. There are some things that you can buy from them, but their collection is all over the place. If you go click on the Contiki section, it's got the like the heritage version and then like three different versions within the same collection, but they all look vastly different <laughs> from 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 one another. And it's kind of like, well, where is this thing like piecemeal together? What where's the where's the DNA here of this brand? It it doesn't really exist. They have other collections that are very kind of just, you know, for lack of a better term, very barstool watch design esque. <laughs> You know, very, very bricky Portnoy design, uh, just just simple things, you know, nothing crazy. But um, it's so sad that this brand that was such a historic member of, of the watch community that did so many great things uh, that created one of the most powerful watch movement manufacturing companies in the world um, isn't really known anymore. Yeah, the mighty have fallen, dude. It's yeah. And I, and I have I have an Eterna. I have an Interna Contiki chronograph, and it's a cool watch. It's got a seventy-seven fifty in it. Um, it's a it's a older design by today's standards now, but I mean, really, really nice timepiece for the for the money. I mean, I think that these were you know selling below the two thousand dollar you know threshold or something. It's kind of like around the quality of like a Hamilton, but it, you know, how do you go from this history to to basically nothing? Well, I guess that happened to a lot of people once Quartz watches showed up, right? I mean, I, yeah, but I mean, somebody's running this company. It's just oh, like, no to what degree? I mean, they have watches that have bronze on their cases. I mean, you know, that was what, you know, five years ago? Yeah, that, that was that like was, the big that thing? That was a recent thing. So, I mean, obviously somebody's still there trying to keep this thing alive. But, you know, 
It's like you click on the bronze version, it's like 44 millimeters. I'm like, guys, <laughs> it's it's time to slim down the collection. This like 2007. Yeah, like let's go and make a Kentucky modern reissue and you know do the thing like Volcane hey, is. Well, doing. the old ones, old ones are like 37. I'm looking at. Right, they have some older ones that are sort of in that motif of like the 60s Seamaster. Yeah, 37 mils. So, I mean, that, go like, with that. that. Was but that was like the original Kentucky. Yes. It was a very cool looking watch, and it like it was like that classic like Seamaster three hundred meter s case, you know. That's like, what I'm looking at. Yeah, it, it just it was very cool, and the designs were awesome, but whatever they're doing now just doesn't make sense. And I don't know who's in charge of the company, who's running it, where they stand today. It's just it, it looks like it's in a very odd place, which is very sad because. They do have some cool designs. They do have some cool watches. And I would love to see this brand really make a revival and, and come back and, and do something cool. Because they can certainly go the route of a brand like a Volcane or uh, you know, Nevada Grenchin or something yeah. like that. You know? And I mean Eterna, like that's just such a cool name. It is cool. The Kentiki, you know. Eternomatic like, on the dial. Yeah. Cool. I mean, like so cool to me. But here we are. Yep. Fumbled the bag. It's so sad. <laughs> All right. I'm going to move on to a brand we brought up last time out. They just put out the Sumerine. That was Airain. Uh, it's a company that dates back to the 1930s and then became sort of notable when they started putting out watches for the French Ministry of Defense in the 50s and 60s in the form of the Type 20. So aviation watches we're talking. Um, yeah. They kind of disappeared. The poor man's type 20. Yes, yes, the poor man's. It's it, right. But around the same time, the Brigade was doing it, though. Well, yeah, because so. it was the type 20 was like a military standard. Right. You know, it was like the dirty dozen. Yes, you know, the dirty like, dozen watches. Exactly. It was like that was the type 20 was like the standard for this bicompact chronograph, you know? Right. So they fizzled out for a while. I'm going to say presumably during the quartz crisis era. They were revived in 2014 along with a sister company called Le Bois and Co. I think that's how you say it. Okay. <laughs> uh, but they, they, they began making their own proprietary movements called the AM1 for the Type 20. Now, check this out, man. This is a manual wine column wheel flyback chronograph, fully integrated. Wait, and, what? Yeah. Dude, check out this, the dimensions on this. It's a 39.5 by 10.8 by compacts. No, it's not. That's what they got it listed as. No, I had to double check it because it seems like ludicrous specs. What? So previously they used a Vaju 222 movement, and I think they kind of used that as an architecture and built their own proprietary movement off it. And the specs on this watch are insane. And they even made a one of one for the Pink Isle project, and it looks sick. And I'm jealous that I didn't is get my the, hands on is this. Is that thing. the pink ribbon piece? Dude, yeah, it's it's awesome. It looks really let me, good. Let me see. It's, it's, the picture isn't loading up on my computer for, for whatever reason, but how does it? Are you serious? Those are the specs. That is what they integrated column wheel chrono. Like that's that's a heavy duty movement for those specs. I mean, why would I ever buy a brigade? (laughs) You're telling (laughs) me. Let's be honest with you. Let's be honest. Like, I mean, why would I ever buy a brigade if if this is the kind of bangers that I could get? 
Right. Oh, I wow. guess I guess it's sort of like we were talking about last week, how the Sumarine is sort of like the G.O. Diver Jr., right? Like, it, it, yeah, you're getting Jeez. obviously it's not a G.O., but you're getting the same look and everything. You know, I, I, you know what? Now that I've seen this, this rendering of this Type 20, I have seen this Type 20 before with the pink dial. I, I, I must have seen it on social, or I must have seen it on the, the breakdown of, of all of the, the watches that were going to be auctioned off, and I just, I just didn't pay it any attention. But that is a slick pink dial chrono. Yeah, it's very smooth, man. Like I, I'm Ugh. very jealous. That is really cool. <laughs> That is amazing. That is so 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 amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, yeah, that's so cool. But that's their bread and butter right now. That and the Sumarine are sort of what. Well, that Sumarine. Oh man, hanging their I, hat on. That Sumarine is so good. All right, and for the money, it's, it's hard to beat. I mean, yeah, and especially in that cool greenish blue that I cannot get out of my head. Yeah, it's uh. 20, including handwell and column wheel chronograph with fly pack and countdown bezel. That is insane. Yeah. All pieces within the first batch have been sold. Yeah, for a good it's reason. Understandably. It's freaking column wheel, man. Like this is that's pretty amazing. I'm not it gonna is. Lie. I, I had a double take when I read that. I said that couldn't be right. Let me read that again. Yeah. And then 39.5, like yeah. just a great size. And for it's a slim. Chrono. It's not like 39.5 and 16 millimeters. <laughs> Yeah, it's ten point eight five mil. Whoa, like I mean, that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty. That's pretty killer. Yeah, it's very impressive. So I, I'm definitely curious to see what they do going forward. Clearly, they have specs and design in mind with their pieces, and you know, I'm hoping to see. I guess them continuing along with sort of their heritage, but also what they can bring going into the future. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Did you right. see this other one that they did with their with their sister brand? I didn't. I I saw that they existed. I didn't really go into what Lebois and Co. was. Oh, huh. yeah. So it's a it's another kind of like more heritage chronograph. And it looks like it's got a similar movement from what I can tell. Anti-magnetic. Huh. Yeah, it's more like a 1930s, 1940s kind of chrono. You know, with snail scale or like the sector dial, that kind of motif. It's a very good-looking chronograph, though. I'm not going to lie. I'm seeing one with a, a salmon dial. Yeah, it's that's good. Kind of reminds me of the, the, the Omega chronoscopes, the new ones. Yeah, a little bit. That kind of, you know classic look mm-hmm. man there's so many there's so many you know there's so many sleepers out there you know what i mean like it's just like when we look at these things it's just like how how do people not know about these things right and the, well that's why i like to highlight them on this because yeah we we've done how many how many episodes where we've done sleeper you know vintage watches we've done sleeper modern watches we've done stuff that nobody talks about i mean that that's the stuff i want to talk about because all anybody ever talks about is friggin' Rolex. I'm, I'm done. I don't want to talk about Rolex anymore. <laughs> no, there's nothing to say. Right. I No, you can't get the watches <laughs> anyway. What's the difference? Oh, look, they're finally starting to become a little bit more available. Yay. Secondary market prices are falling. Yay. Okay. Yeah, so you got to buy them CPO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Did I did I tell you the rumor of what I heard about? No, no, you didn't. Oh man. I had heard that all of the, the try on the exhibition models, because they had been, you know, basically in the storage for about two or three years, that they were gonna ship them back to Rolex and slap movements in them, and that would be the new inventory as no. CPO because they <laughs> because they've been handled. I was like, no, that cannot be legit. Could you imagine? I mean, I guess it's better than somebody taking it out and banging it up and I don't know. It's still, but, could, but you know what? I could totally see it happening. It's just, it's just specific enough. <laughs> it makes that sense t- that I could totally see it happening. And it makes sense, and it makes sense, right? Like these are watches that have been sitting in your case line. They've been fondled by thousands of people, and all you have to do is send them back to Rolex. They can put a real movement in there. They slap a dial. They do do a case refinish, and now it's a CPO. Yep. <sighs> Is it that crazy to imagine? <laughs> no, no, it's not. In, in today's watch world, it, no, no, it's not. It, we it, just talked not. about this. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, there you go. All right. Okay. So, uh, so my next one that I want to talk about, it's a brand that we've touched on before, but I'll be honest and and say I I, I have had great respect and appreciation for this brand, but it's been from afar. This is not a, a a brand that I've ever had hands-on with. I don't know anybody that owns this brand, but I love their design. I love their story. I love what they bring to the industry, and that's Habring. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with Habring, it is a micro brand. It's an independent. Um, and basically the story goes is it's a husband and wife duo. They decided to create a watch company, uh, make a timepiece, and this was, I think, like 2014 or 2015, something like that. Um, and they created something that was truly unique and special. And it wasn't very, uh, very complicated or or anything at first, but since then they've been able to create so many impressive watches. They've had deadbeat second uh, complications. They've had you know, uh, Rotropont chronograph complications. They've had, you know, very complicated looking watches to very simplistic looking watches, minute repeaters. I mean, just all kinds of crazy things. And the way that they do their designs and the movements is, I believe that they're in some ways, you know, modified existing movements, but they're heavily modified by them internally um they're finished in in a lot of ways by hand so there's a lot of great finishing here i really don't know what the price points are on these watches because i really can't find anything that 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 indicates it and i'll be honest with you the habring website itself is really not very informative it kind of shows you like what they've made but there's no prices there's nothing that really indicates uh uh really anything of, of of specificity here other than the watches look cool if you gotta and, ask, you can't afford it. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the way that I look at it. Um, especially when you're like, yeah, it's got a deadbeat seconds, and you're like, oof, like that's kind of a. Oh, they're from Austria. Yeah, they're yeah. they're Austrian. So, and it's a it's a husband and wife. So, if you look at the logo, it's technically Habring squared. I saw that because it's basically the last name of the husband, last name of the wife, which would both be Habring. So they they decided to add the squared. I wonder if that's uh, what Sekhan Sekhan did. You know, who knows? <laughs> who knows? But, I mean, I, I just love their designs. They're very simple. 
you know, this is the Brodinky style, that 38, 37, you know, that smaller case watch, classically designed. And a lot of their collection spans some of the best design eras of watch design. So, you know, you have some things that are very Art Deco. You have some things that are very simplistic, you know, kind of mod mid-century, you know, kind of Bauhaus design. Like there's a lot of good uh, um, design work that they've done internally to create the designs that they that they produce, um, which is awesome. And some of their movements look very complicated and some look a little bit more pedestrian, but um, this is a brand that does something that's really special and unique and it must be so exclusive because I can never... I can never find them. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm looking at a perpetual doppel retropont with a moon phase. Oh. I can't imagine what the hell this watch goes for, but it is something <laughs> to behold. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's something that you would see from, like, Paddock. Yeah. Jeez. From <laughs> Vacheron, you know, like, just... And it's like, tw- what? 12 millimeters thick. Yeah insane yeah i mean just just bananas bananas and oh this very, this says that all rough. that is 21500 euro or 24300 us us that's Wait, not bad i mean again? for 20 it says here pricing availability 24300 us yeah that's uh that's it's not... expensive but it's not it's not what you'd pay for uh you know what paddock does <laughs> yeah add 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 40 to that and you got yourself a paddock you know if you could buy at retail, you know what I mean? Like it's it's nuts. Yeah, of course. Of course. So there you go. There's kind of a, a little bit of a taste. But I've always wondered like what is their most simplistic timepiece like really sell for? You know, if it was just like a time and date or or just small seconds. Like that's what I really want to know. It's a good question. I can't find it myself. Yeah, I mean, there, there's this. It's just a very mysterious brand to me. Very cool, very beautiful. If anybody out there that listens to this podcast has one, just like DM us a photo and like tell us what you think about it. I would really love to know because you know I'm looking at some of these things and it's like, you know, this movement's five point seven millimeters and it fits into a nine millimeter case. It's like, gosh, dang, man, and it's a deadbeat, you know, seconds complication. I'm like, whoa, this is uh this is truly, truly cool. So who knows? I would love to get hands on with them, but until then I, I can just appreciate them from afar. This this feels like to me like a more upscale nomos. Like some of the movements say like you made in Austria with love. I can see that. <laughs> like on the <laughs> movement. You know, it's like that's how you know you don't take yourself too seriously, right? Like you're you're doing cool things, but you're having fun with it. And I think that's kind of the 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 overall charm of the brand as well. Oh, here we go. Some of these aren't bad. So the time only forty six fifty in euro. Okay, so you're looking around five six grand. Yeah, chronograph sixty two fifty. Yeah, that I mean that makes sense. But like some of these chron like they look awesome. You know what I mean? Like these like you know doppel chrono like you you're gonna get it like a like a uh, a Rotropont chronograph like that's pretty insane. Pretty cool. So there you go. All right. My last one is certainly a brand we've mentioned and kind of brushed by a bunch. I actually own one of these. So kind of adds to it. Uh, Yema is, I think I'm three for three on French brands, if I'm not mistaken here. But Yema <laughs> is, a, is a French brand. 
that was started around the 1940s. Uh, they really sort of hit their stride in the 60s with the Superman divers, sort of when the mm-hmm. when the the dive watch really started flourishing out from the you know under the 50s. Uh, a lot of them were very like uh, mil spec look, and you you could see that in their their lines today. They sort of carry that over. I mean, the Superman is a very very extensive line now, but they yeah. have a lot of heritage models that have that older. Some of them are sort of like that that funky Diver 65 look almost. Uh, but you, you get a wide variety with today's offering. But back then, it was, it was much more um, narrow as far as that's concerned. Uh, in the 60s, they did a lot of yacht timers because that was a cool thing. Yeah. And then there's a little lull, but then it gets interesting. They did. They were the first French watch in space in the early 80s. They flew multiple missions. They had a North Pole really? exploration in 86. Okay. This is very interesting. Bought by Seiko in 88. What? No. Bought by Seiko in 88, sold in 2004. So for a stretch there, Yamo is owned by Seiko. What? I'm so curious as to what happened during that period. I would love to see a, a Yamo from that era. You said from 88 to 2004? I think. It says it was bought by Seiko in 88, and then it was sold again in 2004. I don't know if it changed hands anywhere in there again, but certainly 88, Seiko owned Yema. Oh, yeah. That looks pretty Seiko. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at a, at a 99 Yema Adventure alarm watch. Yeah, that looks uh that looks about as Seiko as you could. <laughs> and it and it, it almost looks like the like the like the Seiko pulsar, you know? Like oh the, yeah. Yep. Yeah, just kind of like, yeah, this is just the the brand we no longer do anything with or care about, but it has a name, so there it is. Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. Uh it changed hands a couple more times, but in 2017, I know they made a, sp- a space watch specifically for I think it was the 10th French space mission. So I, it's got a you know, a, it's not called the spacecraft. It's called something like that. But they did something to commemorate that. Um, they started developing some in-house movements and things like that. I mean, the one that I specifically have is a Mega Quartz Chrono. I think it uses a, a the Seiko VK. Yeah, but it, um, it is it is a spacecraft. It is a spacecraft. Okay, I knew it had a name like that. I just I couldn't remember who it was. You know, like Solargraph <laughs> yeah, or Stellagraph or whatever. You yeah, know, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's the spacecraft and the, specifically the spacecraft zero G. Yeah, so that's cool. But yeah, the the one that I specifically have, I mean, they they have interesting designs, which I, I give them credit for, and they come in at a pretty affordable price point. Yeah. Um, what drew me to this specifically is I have the Panda Chronograph, the Bicompacts, the Rallygraph. So obviously panda chronographs are pretty pretty hot lately, but whatever, whatever. But they have these sort of rhombusoidal, I want to say, subregisters, which are just really neat. It's just very much like we were talking about with the other watches, where you get some of their own DNA, and I just appreciate that a lot. And that was kind of what made me want to get it. Also, it comes in at a very nice size. I think it's thirty nine millimeters. So yeah, pretty cool. Um, there is no running seconds, so you don't even notice the the jumping mecha quartz small seconds. But the is it is it a VK? Yeah, so you get mm-hmm. a smooth sweep on the chrono seconds, which is nice. Which so I like it's a basically lot. like a it's like a modified version because it doesn't have the running seconds. Right, right, right. So I I just think that's pretty neat, and it's it's a, yeah. a neat little package. Wears very well. So fun little watch. 
but they make a lot of cool stuff. Like I said, they make they make the Superman, they make the Superman Superman GMT. I mean, that those are more sort of modern what people are looking for nowadays, right? With sort of mm-hmm. uh, more traditional looks, but they make some out there stuff. They have a lot of heritage callbacks and just some interesting things. If you go through their catalog, that I really do like. Um, yeah, definitely a brand to keep your eye on as far as that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, their stuff is cool. I've uh, I had a, a buddy of mine that had the had the Supermarine when they relaunched the the kind of heritage revival. Yeah. Um a few years ago. It was cool. I mean, certainly a watch for for its price point, but you know, a very cool watch. Had a locking um bezel. Yeah, it, that is you, neat. If you ever saw that, but once you basically screw the crown down, the bezel locks, which is kind of cool. A little funky, but very cool. But no, I think this is a good one. This is a good one. All right, so let me round out my last pick. Um, this is uh, Eberhard & Co. or Eberhard & Co. Um, this company's basically been around since 1887. Wow. Uh, which is a, it's an old company. They just recently celebrated like about 135 years or so of uh, of existence. Um, now, the thing I thought was kind of funny about this is I was going through their brand history. I'm familiar with a few of their watches. Like they had their um, their uh, their diver in the 1960s that looked very similar to the uh, like the Seamaster, um, specifically the Seamaster 300, and it had that kind of cushion barrel shaped case. It was you know an ultra tough diving watch, uh, and this was called the um, oh gosh, what is the actual name for it? Hold on. I'm trying to source it. The Scaphograph. Thank you. Uh, so this is the Scaphograph. It's a diver. And very, very cool looking watch. Very unique in its design. And what I thought was very interesting about this company is I was going through the brand history. And a lot of stuff that they've claimed to be part of their company's history is like almost identical to Breitling's. Whoa. So I was kind of confused because there was a lot of similarities here. So to give you an example, uh, back in, let's see here. It says 1919, Eberhard and Co. claims that they launched the first wristwatch chronograph. Okay. Now, what's interesting about this, this is 1919. In 1915, Breitling claims that they created one of the first ever wrist-worn chronographs with an independent pusher at 2 o'clock. And the photos of this respective watch, when you compare it to the Eberhard, how the watch looks and how it wears is almost, to me, identical. It's a bicompax chrono with a hunter case design so the back hinge is open uh-huh. and it's got a pusher at two o'clock which is just like the brightlings and they're roughly around the same era just you know given four years or so in difference but everhart is claiming that they did it first but they did it four years after brightling which is weird right like it's just well, very interesting do you wonder 
if there was some sort of connection there? Like, wasn't Breitling linked up with Walkman at some time? I think. Maybe. I think they were. But I'm just saying, like, there's a lot of brands that were sort of linked up, like how Nevada and Croton were. Yeah. I mean, but I wonder but when I was, was Googling that, I was Googling, I couldn't find anything that indicated it. And then to make things kind of even more, you know, interesting, you know, if you start looking at something like the 1930s, 1940s, you know, a lot of these designs look like the Breitling premieres from the same era, right? The 1930s and 1940s, yeah, right? So I'm I'm going through this and then you know, 1960s is kind of where where Everhart and Co. gets really popular. They have their 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 contograph, which is basically a bicompax chrono with a date. It's a very cool looking chronograph. I wish this watch would be like a modern version today. I think it looks very cool, um, especially if it was in the original size, kind of flat link bracelet. It's kind of a meshing of a lot of very popular designs for for chronographs in the 60s. So I would love to see this be be a reissue. But if you go to the 1980s. Specifically, 1986, they created a Chronomaster really? for the Frecci Tricolori. Isn't that the same Frecci Tricolori that Breitling partnered with? Could be. <laughs> I, I mean, it, am I mistaken here? And I was pretty positive that it's almost in the same age range. You know? That's... So this is, so according to, to Eberhard, this is what, 1986? Let me see what it is for Breitling. Sorry, it takes a, a second for the, for the Breitling website to come up right. Um, I mean... They do look a lot alike. Right? Like, I don't, I don't think it's just me. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like you're just uncovering a giant scandal. I mean, I, I'm just like I was like, did I? Did I? This is the Da Vinci I... Code. <laughs> it's like what we were talking about the uh, the the James Bond thing. Oh yeah, with Submariner. Wow, that is interesting. Isn't it weird? Very. So let's see here. Okay, it says, yeah. So Frenchy Tricolori. So this is 1983. Oh, that Breitling partners with with the the Frenchy Tricolori. I'm like, it's a lot of coincidence here. And and what is what was the what is that watch called the Chronomat? And this is the Chrono Master. Okay, <laughs> you, you know what I mean. Like I was just I'm like I'm together. going through this history. I'm like this is very odd to me. Like, very odd to me. But, you know, conspiracy theories and tinfoil hats aside, um, it's a cool watch brand. They still exist, to my knowledge, in some type of capacity, um, although they don't really have the same type of probably distribution points or availability, specifically here in the U.S., like they may have abroad in Europe. Um but if you go to collections, they still have a of a breakdown of their collections. Um, they still have a, a a version of the of the scaphograph. They also have kind of like a more explorer version called the uh, the scient scient scientigraph. 
Yeah, I couldn't tell if that was Shantagraph or Scientograph, but yeah, it, it's a neat looking watch. It's basically like an explorer and a railmaster. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> and, what it looks like. I mean, they had a baby, and this is kind of what you what you get. You know, it, it it's a cool it's a cool like explorer looking timepiece, but very interesting company. Um, I know they've had a lot of great history historical milestones in their in their brand's history, but it's just very interesting to see how there's a lot of similarities between this company and Breitling, even though from what I can dig up, there's really not an overlap in any form or, fa- or capacity. That's very interesting. Which is very strange. The last thing I'll see, uh, I'll see if you notice this one, bro. Did you did you happen to stumble across their Chrono 4? Yes. What is that? Dude, I, it kind of looks like a, like a diesel watch. <laughs> right? Every time I look at it, I just picture like a spider with like all their yeah, eyes. With the eyes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. I like that. You know? But it's it's crazy. So basically, if, if you if you're not looking this up and you're you're listening to the podcast, um, this is a chronograph that came out with like in the 2000s. They called the Chrono Four, and basically, you had an hour and minute hand like normal watch. You had a date at 12 o'clock, which is odd. You know, big center seconds for the chronograph, and then on the watch itself, you had a 60 second counter. A 30 minute totalizer, a 12 hour totalizer, and then a 24 hour indication. And each of the sub dials was laid perfectly next to one another. Yeah, it almost looks like In a car, series. like speedometer and odometer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so weird to me. I've never seen another chronograph do this. And I think it's worth mentioning here because, I mean, I think it's absolutely hideous. It's pretty ugly. <laughs> if you ask me, like I think you said, you know, you hit the nail on the head. It looks kind of like a diesel watch. Yeah. It look. It reminds me of those diesel watches that had like the four time zones. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yep. had, had had different crowns for each one, and there was like four different dials within the watch. It kind of looks like that. But regardless, um, an interesting watch to say the least. I think they have their own kind of like patents or security around this design. Not that anybody would want to steal it anyway, because it's verifiably ugly. But a very 2000s yes. watch, if you, if you will. So there you go. But that's it. That's all I got. Everhard the, and Co. is what I'm going to wrap up with. The Scaffograph 300 is pretty neat. But did you see the Scaffograph 100 that doesn't have the bezel on it? So the no. 300 has kind of a classic diver-looking bezel. The 100, it almost looks like it gives me a little bit of Railmaster vibes, but also a little more like 1016 vibe. Oh, like the original. Yeah, but it's funky, man. It's very funky, like very well, triangular I love, I markers. Love, yeah, these, I would yeah, go for like, like if if they reissued that, I would I would consider buying that. It's that's neat. Oh, yeah, it's 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 very cool, very cool. Yeah, because they have like these oversized triangles at twelve, three, six, and nine, and everything else is kind of your traditional, you know, circle loom plot. Yeah, then I'm you have to... a giant my, martini olive second hand. Yep, broad arrow. It's it's very cool. I'm trying to see what some of these sold for because, like, you know, if they're not ridiculous vintage, I'm, I'm assuming they are. But if they're not, like, that would be but a fun you know, pickup. I couldn't. Have, when was the last time you heard anybody bring up this brand? No, nah, never. But you know, the vintage the vintage market in general is just kind of blown up a little bit. So, yeah, but I mean, people people are always usually looking for the same things. Yeah, true. This to me for does sure. not strike me as a watch brand that a lot of people are really looking for. 
you know? Yep. And there's like one guy on Instagram that I know that like he's like like I think his handle's like Eberhard and something. And like I really only know about this company because I followed him many, many years ago when I had a social media account. Ah, fifteen thousand one hundred sixty four or best offer. <laughs> fifteen thousand. Yep, that's what it said. Well, that's eBay. You know, you never know. Or best offer. I will give you five hundred dollars. Here's six dollars. <laughs> Take it or leave yeah, it. Yeah. So so the guy the guy is Eberhard fan. He's got almost eight thousand followers on social. He's probably and... the only person who is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, okay. But yeah, oh, he's cool got though. like uh he's got a bunch of the vintage Eberhards and stuff and He's uh I I've DM'd him a few times in, way 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 in the past but he was kind of a cool guy and uh he entertained my conversation so good dude um yeah but he even has kind of the more recent editions of the of the Everhart pretty neat pretty neat yeah. overall so go check him out yeah but that's all, all right. I got dude yep that's all I got too so we can send this one off. Uh, with for our watch brands that we, I don't know, we wanted to know about episode. <laughs> Hope everybody learned something because I certainly did. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week on episode sixty six of the Receives Radio Podcast. Schmitty, catch you then. Be good. Take care. Bye.